sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That's how the apostle Paul described himself. When you hear that, maybe some of you have heard it for a long time. You grew up and going to Sunday school. Some of you maybe heard that phrase the first time and you're thinking, wait, wait, that doesn't make sense. How can someone be sad and happy? <laughs> it seems a contradiction, doesn't it? How can we be sorrowful yet always rejoicing? Well, that's what today's message is about. Because it is possible. It's possible and we're going to learn how to do it. And we've got to unlearn some things because everything in our world tells us that we have to change our circumstances if we want to be happy. And you're sad because bad things happen to you. And if just enough good things could happen to you, then you'd be happy. Maybe it's good things that you can get. If I could just get that new car, a new job, or just a new boss, because nobody really quits jobs, right? They quit bosses, right? Okay, if I just had a new boss, if I had a new job, if I had a new career, a new relationship. If I could just get that girl, I'd be happy. Oh, if I could just get that guy, oh, everything would be fixed. I got those voices backwards in the first service and it sounded really weird. <laughs> I'm glad I fixed it for you guys. We think if I just got this next thing, then we'd be happy that we'd be out of it. But it doesn't work that way. Every single commercial that we ever see tells us that if we do something, it will make us happy. That if you buy that beer, you'll be happy. Okay, if you use their gambling app, you're going to be happy. Enough of those commercials, right? Can I get an amen to that? Okay. Like, it's just, if you do this thing, if you buy this thing, if you go to this place, go on this vacation, then you'll be happy. And what you quickly realize that it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Psychologists are finding this abundantly clear that they are finding that of our happiness, the circumstances of our life only account for 10% of our happiness. 10%. That's like nothing. You guys know it because <laughs> we get the new thing and it doesn't work. So you need some more. You get the new job and uh, maybe I can keep advancing my career. Maybe I can have more success. And it never works. It just doesn't get us there. We think if we just had the thing, we'd be happy, but we're not. It doesn't work. Did you hear about the guy this last week that slept on his couch all week? Anybody hear about this guy? He asked his wife what she wanted for Mother's Day and she said, nothing would make me happier than a day at the spa. So he got her nothing. You, got, you get the joke, okay. Some people are still not getting it right. That's a dumb joke today, right? Last week we told mom jokes, that's just a bad joke, all right? Not a dad joke, a bad joke. We think things will get us happier and then it doesn't work, that we'll finally be happy. But the reality is it's not our circumstances, it's how we respond to our circumstances. There was a study that tracked over 450 men that were graduates from Harvard. And they followed these men for over 45 years. And these are Harvard-educated men, so they're making a lot of money. They're very smart. They're good at what they do. And what they found that for these men to determine who was the happiest during this time period and at the end had nothing to do with how good they were raised. Like It had nothing to do with their childhood. It had nothing to do with how successful they were with their career and how much money they made. It had nothing to do even with the closeness of their relationship. They were married. The happiest men were those who responded well to bad circumstances. So their response to what happens made them happy. It's the thing. We all have bad things happen in our life. Sometimes we have some things that suck, right? It's a very Christian term there, okay? If you didn't know that, okay, suck. 
There are things that happen in our lives that suck. They're bad. They're awful. They happen to us. We, we can just admit it. They are. And it's how we respond to those that actually determines the true happiness that we can have in our life. So that's what we're going to learn today because our message is called When You're Sad. In our series, How to Be Happy, How to Be Happy When You're Sad. Because that's what Paul says he was able to experience, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And I want that for you. And I think you do too. I think you do too. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That you will discover uh, that the secret, if we got this quote up here, the secret that Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote about in his book, Cancer Ward. He said, a man is happy so long as he chooses to be happy. And no one can stop him. No one can stop him. So we've got to choose that. And that's a choice we all make. Hopefully for this series, How to Be Happy, you've chosen that you want to be happier. Some of you got dragged here. Thank you for being here. We love you. Okay. But if you're here and you're listening to my voice online, you can be happier if we learn how to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing as Paul was. So this is what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this scripture and I want to read a whole section of it so we kind of get a little context for what Paul's writing about. But really we're just going to focus on those four words in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. But we're going to read the, the, the passage so you kind of understand what Paul is talking about in the midst of this. So if you have a Bible, open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 4. And if you... Um, have just a phone, you can find the YouVersion Bible app, and uh, on that we actually have our Arise Church Denver event that you can find our scripture, you can find our notes, you can take it and save it right there on your phone. But I want to just read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. So this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. So he's talking about himself and, and some of his colleagues he says, look at us. He says, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses. And if that doesn't sound bad enough, he said, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. He's talking about what he actually experienced. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, this is what he experienced in his life. He was beaten. He was in prison. There was riots when he went to preach. People tried to kill him, drive him out of town. This is all that the stuff he's experienced, things that you'd think would make Somebody's sad. And then if you jump down to verse 8, he says, Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. That's how Paul describes his life. So it's not that he had great stuff going for him. It's like, what a cushy, great life. He's got the new Lambo out parked in the parking lot. Actually, you know, not in the parking lot here in, in Central Park. Okay, you don't want to leave that thing out. But okay, that's not Paul, right? He had some rough stuff happen to him, didn't he? Some terrible things. And yet he says, in the midst of it, I am sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And if you read the other letters he wrote, he wrote like half the New Testament. He's very happy. He's very joyful the true happiness that comes from God. So how does he get there? So we're going to focus on today. Hopefully we can discover some of that. How can he be sorrowful yet always rejoicing? How can he be sad and glad at the same time? So what I'm going to teach you guys today is a very simple three-point acrostic. I always used to call this an acronym. It's not an acronym, turns out. Matt doesn't know grammar very well. But it's an acrostic. Three letters 
that help you remember these three points that I want you to learn today. And the first, actually the acronym is, is the word SAD. Can you remember that? SAD. So when you're sad, right? SAD. Um, can you guys just say to the person next to you, that's SAD. Okay. That's for the message, not for the... Not about me, okay. That's sad, okay, sad. So the S, let's start with the first letter S. The S stands for sit in the sadness. If you want to be happy, the first thing that you need to learn to do is actually to sit in the sadness because there are sucky things that happen in our lives. There are things that make us sad, that are hard. And if we just wanna pretend that everything's good or, or take that medication real quick and just ignore everything happening, go back to work, go back to play, try to drown it out by smoking something else. Like, it's not gonna help us be happy. We have to actually sit in our sadness first, to sit in our sadness. Did you notice in our very long scripture for today, those four words? In verse 10, Paul says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, meaning he was sad. Sorrowful means sad things are happening. And in case you didn't believe me, this is what the Greek word is. Sorrowful is the Greek word, upeo. To cause someone to be sad, sorrowful, or distressed. To make sad or sadden. Paul is saying, something's happened that's made me sad. This is a hard circumstances. Maybe it's grief from someone dying. It's a difficulty. It's a sad thing. Paul says, that's what we are. We are sorrowful. We should say that I have experienced sadness. Don't pretend like everything is good. Sometimes, you know, those people that just are like, let's listen to the fish. And don't worry, and be happy. Man, that fish. So glad that thing's gone. Some of you kids are like, I don't know what that is. Thank goodness. Like, our society has improved for the better in one regard at least, right? That fish is gone. Billy Bass, something like that. Um, but he's gone, because it doesn't work. Just to like pretend that we're happy, don't get mad, get glad, like, okay, no, no, no. There are bad things that happen. There are sad things, and we have to just acknowledge it. Say yes, it was a bad thing. I, I've been to churches before, and everybody's like smiling and happy and clappy, happy, clappy churches, have you heard that? You've been to these churches, and everybody's happy. Like, somebody's lying here, because there's at least gotta be one person who's sad today, right? Somebody's gotta have a rough day, okay? We don't need to pretend to be happy. We can sit in our sadness, and that's actually a very biblical thing. It's a biblical thing. And I use the word sit here, because that too is a biblical term. Jews have really taken this practice to heart, and if, especially Orthodox Jews, they still practice something when someone dies called sitting shiva. And what they'll do is for a period of seven days is that they'll grieve together by sitting together. They're sitting shiva. And that's actually a biblical thing because it, Joseph, when his father Jacob died, he grieved for seven days, it says. Seven days. That was the period that they said, hey, we need a week to get over this death. It's so significant. Job did the same thing. When all of his children get killed, I mean, not just one, but all of his children get killed, he sits down and weeps for seven days, and his friends come around him and sit with him seven days. That's what it says in the Hebrew there in Job, it says they sat with him. They're sitting together. And I think that's important. Man, Job's friends get a bad rap because they say some weird stuff like at the end of the book, but the first half, man, they're good friends. Have you sat in silence with your friends for seven days as they grieve? That's a good friend. We sit together in our grief. And that's why even Paul would command us 
in Romans 12, 15, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, but weep with those who weep. We need to be sad. We need to acknowledge it, and we need to be sad even together. We sit together in our sadness. Sit in our sadness. And our culture has really messed this up, I think especially for dudes. Like, men, we're taught like, you have to be like John Wayne. This is the face you can make. Always. Like, somebody dies. This is the face. Okay, this, you just can't show, show emotion. You have to be this, this upright man. But here's the truth, men. And this applies to everybody, but men, listen to me. Our model is not John Wayne. It's Jesus. And Jesus wept. Talk about a short scripture. John eleven thirty five, 35, shortest verse in the Bible. Memorize that. Jesus wept. His friend Lazarus died. And he knew he was coming back from the dead. Still he wept. And he showed it to people. He cried. When he walks into Jerusalem at the end, knowing that they're in rebellion and sin and about to kill him, he weeps for them. He says, I wish I could gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks in my wings. So Jesus said he is, he's crying over Jerusalem. And in the garden the night before he was betrayed, he's crying, calling out to God. And he says, I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus wept. If you want to be a true man, cry. Sit in your sadness. And of course, that applies for everybody, right? We need to sit in our sadness for a time. It's important. I have been blown away by how many people lately who I've seen die, and, and I'm like, oh, so you guys doing a funeral? And they're like, nope, nothing. Oh, we, we don't, they didn't want something. I'm like, it's not for them. They're dead. No, seriously. The deceased person's dead. They don't need a funeral. <laughs> the memorial's for us. So we can get together and cry together to remember the good times and the bad times. To weep together to sit in our sadness. It's an important thing. And some of you have had people die in your lives that you haven't fully grieved. You've had dreams for your life, like I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do, accomplish that, I'm gonna have this career, and it doesn't work out. We've, sometimes we gotta grieve for our dreams. And some of us need to grieve. You had a relationship that has broken apart and you've never stopped to grieve it. See, we need to learn to sit in our sadness. There's no way we can make it to the end of happiness if we haven't grieved. We try to busy ourselves with work, with play, with, with drugs, with medications, just, just to stop thinking about it. Like, no, we have to think about it. My parents just sold the house I grew up in. And uh, we went down on Friday down to Colorado Springs to this house. I, I lived there for 10 years growing up, so most of my growing up years. And my parents have lived there now 25 years. I went back and we hung out at the house one more day. I like, we got to have one more day. You know, I, I just like wanted to spend time in there. And then I, at the end, before we left, I walked through every single room. I'm even getting emotional just doing it. Like it made me sad, made me cry. I remembered some incredible memories. Like I lived in like every single bedroom. Like that's the one I shared with my brother, John. Then I shared it with my brother, Jack. And then I had my, Zach, and then I had my own room. And then I went into the basement. Like I remembered all that. I remember playing in that closet. Like it was the closets that brought back memories. In the garage where we used to play roller hockey, we walked to my old middle school and I was like, yeah, that's the place where I got mugged right there. I remember that. And that's where my brother, John, got in a fight. And my mom's like, what? I was like, don't worry. It's like seventh grade. It didn't really a thing, right? Like all these memories, good and bad, coming back and like flooding with emotion. And I'm like, I needed to do that, to grieve the loss of that house. And we've got to take those moments to sit in our sadness. 
to sit in our sadness before we move on. Sit in your sadness. So that's our first point, S, sit in your sadness. But did you notice I said sit? Don't lie down. Okay? Don't lie down. Don't roll around in it. Don't stay there forever. Okay? We can't stay in our sadness. We sit there for a time period, and then we have to move on. Like David, after he grieved the loss of his son, he washed his face and moved on, and they're like, why aren't you still crying? He's like, no, it's time to move on. I've sat, but now I've got to act. And that's our second point. So S is sit in your sadness. A is act before you feel. Act before you feel. Don't wait until you feel good, and then I'm going to move forward. Our feelings rarely lead us to actions, but our actions can often lead us to feelings. It's true. And I don't want you to get this reversed, because when you do, you get messed up. We need to act first. And some of you online, I'm glad you're joining us online. You're too depressed to even make it here in person. We love you, but it's time to act, some of you, before you feel before you feel. We've got to act. So we've been talking about this a lot in our series. That two weeks ago, we said one of the actions you need to take is to just get planted next to the streams of living water in God's word. Because actually, just taking five minutes to meditate a day can make you happier. Like studies are proving it. And we said, especially if you're meditating on God's word, it's going to help you. It literally makes the person happy. Happy is the person who meditates on God's word day and night. That's what it says in the scriptures. So I just challenge everybody, just five minutes a day, spend meditating, thinking about God's word. So that's one action you can take. A second one is what we, Melissa and I covered last week for Mother's Day. If you missed that, we had a great message we, we gave together. And we talked about how you can help your way to happiness. That serving others is actually a way that we can be happy ourselves. It's not that I can get more stuff for myself and self-indulgence. It's actually when we stop thinking about our own problems and start fixing someone else's that we feel better. So serving is a way that we can act our way to happiness. So that's two things. I'm not going to cover that anymore. That's good review. Okay. What I'm going to teach you today is two things and, and, and really one thing encompasses both of them for, for us to act our way to happiness. And it actually comes from our verse. If we can look at verse 10, once again, Paul says, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. See, rejoicing is a verb. Sorrowful, you might be sad because of something that happens to you, but we choose to rejoice. Yes, it involves our emotions, but we actually have to rejoice first before we feel joy. We have to rejoice. We have to choose to be glad. This is what the word means. If you look at that Greek word, rejoicing is the Greek word kairo. To enjoy a state of happiness and well-being, to rejoice and be glad. So we're choosing to rejoice Choosing to choose happiness. And we've got to do that. So the one thing that actually is two things that I want you to do in order so that you can rejoice is simple. Start talking to yourself. Not in the crazy way, although if people think you're crazy, who cares? They're crazy and unhappy. Might as well be crazy and happy, right? I mean it. Start talking to yourself. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great British pastor, he said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? I think he's right. Because when we listen to ourselves, this is what we hear. Oh, why do all the bad things happen to me? Why are my friends not there for me when I was there for them? Is there something wrong about me? Am I ugly? Am I just no good? Am I a terrible person? 
and you remember all the bad things you've done, you're such an idiot. And some of you have called yourself far worse than idiot. Man, we are our worst critics, aren't we? We have said some terrible, awful things to ourselves that if you ever said them to someone else, they'd be punching you in your face. And it's time to punch yourself in the face, okay? And say, shut up, you, and stop, start talking to yourself instead of listening to yourself. You guys hear me on this? We need to start talking to ourselves instead of listening to ourselves. I, I think that might be the reason why Paul in Philippians 4.4 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He's like telling himself to be happy. We need to tell ourselves to be happy too. We need to rejoice in the midst of the awful, terrible things. And there's two ways that I want you to start talking to yourself. One is just telling yourself what you're thankful for. Okay? It's a very simple thing to just start talking to yourself and say, these are the things I'm thankful for in my life. Because no matter how many bad things are happening in your life, you always have things to be thankful for. And are you telling yourself that? This is how we start talking to ourselves. Who cares what's happening? You start, start telling yourself, well, I, I, I still have food to eat. Okay, I, I still have a vehicle if you have one. Okay, I, I still have people in my life, even if I don't like them right now, they're still there. They've stuck with me. There's someone. I have a church that I can be a part of that loves me unconditionally. You do. Okay, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are forgiven of your sins once and for all. You have a savior that doesn't even care what you do, even if in ignorance or knowingly sin against him, he still has forgiveness and grace for you. And you can breathe. Okay, I want everyone to just take a breath in. Let it out. You have something to be thankful for. You just breathed. You don't even have to think about breathing. Isn't that great? You gotta think about enough stuff. Okay, you don't have to think about it. You can just be thankful for at least that. I have breath in my lungs. And it is such a hard thing to do to force yourself to say what you're thankful for right when you first get started. You're so sad, you're angry. I had that this week and I was like, I'm, I, gotta, I gotta practice this week. Okay, I'm not feeling great, but I have a wife that loves me. I have incredible kids. I got a church that's awesome and growing right now. Like this, there's so many things good in my life. Like, well, and then what you find yourself, it's so hard the first thing. And then the second thing, it's a little easier. And then the third thing. And by the time you get to the 10th thing, you're feeling pretty good. I'm serious, try it. Melissa, and I, Melissa will often like force me to do this. She's like, say what you're thankful for. And I'm like, Arr. not for the traffic right now. I can tell you that. But I have a car. Okay, wow, that's incredible. What a gift. And when you start doing it, it actually changes your soul. So that's how you start talking to yourself, just saying the things you're thankful for. And study after study are proving what the Bible has said. Okay, thankfulness is a very biblical thing. And yet psychological studies are showing that if you're thankful, it makes you happier. They've done some brain scans on people, so this is what neuroscience is telling us now, is that when you give thanks, it actually increases the, what's going on in your hypothalamus, which I guess turns out affects like everything you do in your body. Okay? So the more thankful you are, the more your hypothalamus is working, which means people who are more thankful have better health, they sleep better at night, they have less anxiety, less depression, they, have, um, they live longer, and they're more likely to recover from illnesses just by being thankful. Just by being thankful. They tracked 468 marriages to figure out what makes the happiest marriages. And what they found, the number one denominator, is that the right word? Numerator, whatever, one of those two things. In happy marriages, 
were people who showed gratitude towards one another. When they thanked each other were the happiest marriages. Being thankful helps us be happier. And that's how we need to start talking to ourselves. What are you thankful for? Say it. Force yourself to say the words until it starts to change the feelings in your heart. Act before you feel. Act before you feel. Act before you feel. So that's one way that you can talk to yourself. The second way that you can talk to yourself is by changing your explanatory style. Okay? Explanatory style. Let me, this is a psychological term, but I think it's actually very biblical. Explanatory style. So what they mean by this is when bad things happen to you in your life, because those hard things that make you sad happen, how do you explain it? Do you say, oh, just all the bad stuff happens to me? Murphy's Law, it's going to happen. Everybody abandons me. Nobody likes me. If you explain it like that, you have a negative explanatory style. Often we call these people pessimists or cynics. The opposite is a positive explanatory style. People often call these people um, optimists, but I don't think that's true because optimists look to the future. They're looking to the past and saying what bad things happened to me actually are for my good. That's a positive, positive explanatory style. You're saying that this terrible thing happened to me, but God is working in it to develop my character, to create in me the person I'm meant to be so that I can be strong and tough and make it through. Who cares what, what that intended? Joseph did this. After his brothers had sold him into slavery, he was thrown into prison, left there and abandoned, and finally he got out, and he came and he forgave his brothers. Do you know what he told them? He said, you intended evil, but God intended it for good. Same event. He had a positive explanatory style. I think Paul did too in this passage, right? Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I want you to see this in 2 Corinthians 4. In verse eight, just listen to me right here on this. Paul says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Does that sound like a negative explanatory style or a positive one? It sounds like a positive one to me. He knows that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. That's a positive explanatory style. And that's what we need to have if we want to be happy. This positive explanatory style actually makes a huge impact. There was a study of 180 nuns, okay? And this was back in the 20s, the 1920s, the 1920s. They tracked these nuns and they had them write down everything that happens in their life and describe it for over 50 years. And they took these diaries of these nuns and they went back and they could find that when the nuns described something bad happening, as positive, with the positive explanatory style, versus the negative. And what they were able to do is actually determine, based on the style, they could actually determine how long those nuns would live. And the more positive ones, who had the positive explanatory um, explanation of their life, they are the ones who lived longer. They were happier because of how they were framing things that happened in their minds, how they talked to themselves. Met life. They did some studies on this too because they were trying to sell insurance and they found out that insurance sales is a really hard job because everybody says no. <laughs> they get rejected again and again and again and they were having so much turnover from their insurance salesmen that they found that in the first year they were losing 50% of their salesmen because they got rejected and rejected and rejected. In four years they would lose 80% of their salesmen. So they brought in this professor of psychology to come in and just like, just help us out, figure this out. Because it was costing them 75 million a year having to hire and retrain these people. 
So what they found was that the 20% who could succeed, what made them successful were these people had just as many rejections as everybody else, but they had a positive explanatory style. When those things happened, they would tell themselves, well, just learning what not to say and what not to do. And every single failure brings me closer to success. They had that positive explanatory style about all the things that were going on in their life. And that actually led them to success in their careers and to be happier. It was so powerful that other um, agencies started doing the same thing. Military academies started incorporating some of these questions into their tests to see what soldiers would succeed. Major League Baseball did the same thing. How can they tell if someone's going to be a, a great baseball player? It's not talent. It's the positive explanatory style. Even people recover quicker from heart surgeries if they have a positive explanatory style. Start talking to yourself. Stop listening to yourself. This is how we can be happy, and that's why we need to act before you feel. Act before you feel. Don't wait until you feel good to start doing what you should do. Start talking to yourself until you move yourself into that frame of happiness. That's how you can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So that's the second point. And the third one is often gets left out, this concept, but it's to depend on the Spirit. This is our D, depend on the Spirit. Those first two things, if you're not a follower of Jesus, are really good. You should do them. And you can do them as not a Christian, and it will help you be happier in your life. But this third one is the key. This is really the secret sauce. You need the Holy Spirit of God in your life. It's amazing. I studied so many scriptures this week to prep for this message, and almost every single one of them, when it talked about this concept of how you can be sad and happy at the same time, always mentioned the Holy Spirit. Even in this passage that we're looking at today, right before verse 10, if you, if you jump back to verse 6, um, Paul says, in the Holy Spirit, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Or in another place in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, you suffered much, you had a hard time, Thessalonians, but still you accepted the teaching with the joy that comes from who? I didn't hear that. That's right, the Holy Spirit. Did you know one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy? The Holy Spirit inside us births something. It creates something. It produces something. It's God's Spirit inside of us. I think that's even the reason why Paul said in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. You need the power of God in you in order to truly experience the happiness that God has for you. The true joy. You need to depend on the Holy Spirit. Depend on the Spirit. So that's our third thing. And, and I think it's so important. You talk to people that are in AA, you know, great organization, they make everybody have a higher power because you need that higher power in your life if you want to be able to overcome your past life and walk into the new. So are you guys going to be sad in your life? Yes. Are some of you sad right now? Yes. S, sit in your sadness. It's good. Feel it. Take time. Take some people around you who love you and say, can you just sit with me and listen to me? All these people around you will do that for you, okay? I'm serious. Raise your hand if you would sit with someone in their sadness if they ask you to. Okay, look around, everybody. There's some people that are willing to do this for you. Sit in your sadness. That's the first thing, S. A, act before you feel. Don't wait. Don't listen to yourself. Start talking to yourself so you can move out of that sadness. Move out of that sadness. And D, depend on the Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, He will empower you. He will strengthen you. He will develop the joy of the Holy Spirit in your life. The more you're saying, I need Him. I need Him to do it. I can't do this on my own. I can't make myself happier. But the Holy Spirit inside you can. 
He can provide you the joy you've always longed for. So I hope you will remember this acrostic. Sad. Sad. And, and if I could summarize all of it, I, I try to give you guys a big idea that summarizes everything. And this is simple. When you don't feel joy, rejoice. When you don't feel joy, rejoice. When you don't feel joy, rejoice. We need to do it. We need to act and step into that if we want to be happy. Because this is what Jesus wants for us. And I've said those first two points can apply to your life if you're not Christian. But that third one, you need to be a Christian. So some of you actually need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and receive his Holy Spirit in your life today so that you can start to develop that fruit inside your life. So I want to give you an opportunity to accept what Jesus did on the cross for you and receive his spirit inside you. And we believe that Jesus, for the joy set before him, that's what it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Meaning Jesus died on the cross so that you could be ultimately happy in him. The best life now and the only way to eternal life later, where there will be true, full, perfect happiness. So Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Every bad thing you've ever done, Jesus died for, to forgive you of those things. And if you accept his gift of forgiveness, he also comes to live inside you with his Holy Spirit and guide you into the future as you follow him. So I want everybody to close their eyes right now. And if you're feeling a tug on your heart, I want you to repeat this prayer after me so that you can accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and find that Holy Spirit, that joy inside of you. And what we do here is I give you this simple prayer. It's nothing magical, but it's a way that you can declare what's going on in your heart. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're ready to accept him, say this prayer out loud. And if you are, say this prayer out loud to give somebody courage that needs to pray it for the first time. Can we do that? Okay, with eyes closed, repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Forgive me. Save me. In faith, I declare, Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me to follow you and find true happiness in you. Now, with eyes still closed, if you said that prayer for the first time and meant it, if Jesus today is your Lord and Savior, would you please, on the count of three, put your hand in the air? One, two, three. Put that hand up high. Let's cheer those. Oh, praise God. Yes, praise God for that. Woo. Okay, you can put your hand down. Lord God, we are so grateful. We celebrate with the angels who are rejoicing right now when people make that decision to follow Jesus. And Lord God, as more people declare that publicly through baptism, Lord God, we want to celebrate with them, walk into the happiness that is found in your Holy Spirit that's so much greater than the happiness in this world. It's true and it's lasting. And fill us all with joy today. In Jesus' name, amen.